We stay together, we survive. What we've got here is failure to communicate. To communicate. Stick together. In the name of unit cohesion. Cohesion. You are listening to the Cohesion Podcast. Actionable tips from internal comms leaders on how to improve your company's employee experience. This episode features an interview with Victoria Dew, CEO of Dewpoint Communications. Victoria is a leader of employee experience and future of work with more than 15 years of global internal communications expertise. In this episode, Amanda sits down with Victoria to discuss how the pandemic affected DE&I, what we can learn from Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and why to stop waiting for a seat at the table. Before we dive into the interview, here's a brief word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. If you are looking to increase employee engagement, collaboration, and connectivity, Simpler is your answer. Learn more at simpler.com. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation between Victoria Dew, CEO of Dewpoint Communications, and your host, Amanda Berry, Corporate Brand and Communications Manager at Simpler. Victoria, how are you? Great. So good to be with you. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you here. Thanks for joining me today. I want to first start off and understand more about your background. Walk us through your career journey and what got you into communications. I have kind of an, like a little bit of a different background than well, many people, but certainly many communications professionals. I know many communications folks come from either they study comms at school or they come from journalism. I actually came from Hollywood. My first career was in film and television here in Los Angeles. And interestingly, and theater before that, and interestingly, I think one of the things that's really relevant about that is that it was about learning structure, like story structure and storytelling, but specifically a lot of like development, feature film script development and writing and you know producing scripts is about making sure that there's a really clear narrative arc through a story. And if you peel the layers back of like the story itself and the plot itself, which we might call in communications tactics, it's about a strategic infrastructure that creates an experience or creates a world for the audience. And if you think about it, that's very similar to what we are doing in communications, right? Especially when we get into the space of employee experience. At a certain point, given that Hollywood is, you know, very Hollywood, I wanted to leave. And long story short, my partner was a Lord of the Rings person and he wanted to go back to New Zealand. So we went to New Zealand and I was there for 11 or 12 years. And I didn't want to be in entertainment, um, even though I had kind of come from that world via movies. And so I started temping. I didn't know what I wanted to do because I felt like I'd never had a real job. I never had a job I couldn't wear flip-flops to, you know? And so I started temping and I ended up in a communications team. And I was like, wait a second, this is a job? Because it was all the things I kind of knew. It was like writing and telling stories and a kind of producing aspect. But so what I did was I be, was able to really build a communications career there that became all the things I knew how to do and then layering on so many skills and becoming increasingly more strategic and learning more and more about the business and had an opportunity there just by the nature of the work and of the market to work across industries, different sectors, and had a really wonderful wonderful career there, both in internal communications and external, but really always had a passion for internal. And so then I moved back to this country in 2015. 
and went and got a job in corporate America. And we can talk a little bit about how well that went or didn't go. I'd love to, I'd honestly love to hear that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners could, could identify with that as well, but we, we can get into that. When I came back to this country and I went and I got a job in corporate America, I had come, because I'd come from a very different experience, right? So in New Zealand, just the way that the culture is first, great people are hard to get. And there's a few reasons for that. One is Kiwis are very mobile. They have a very transferable passport. So they're always moving overseas. So if you think about it, it's a fairly small country and talent is very, you're not just competing against companies for great people, you're competing against currencies. So if the British pound gets strong, Kiwis go overseas, right? And Kiwis are... Kiwis are New Zealanders, sorry. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. No, I just want to make sure. If the British pound gets strong, New Zealanders go overseas and live and work there. And if the Australian dollar gets strong, they go and work there. So if you think about it, we're always having kind of brain drain. And it's very much part of the culture to expect that people will leave and go overseas. So great people are hard to get. Right. And so we know that and that war for talent, what we've seen in this past, you know, great recession, et cetera, that has always been part of the culture there. The second thing that's interesting is that employment laws favor the employee. So you can't just fire someone on a Tuesday because you decide you don't like them anymore. Right. It's very hard. You have to performance manage them out, which has is some problems in terms of sort of passive aggressive behavior. But in general, you got to love the ones you're with. Great people are hard to get. And you got to love the ones you're with if you want them to be able to really drive your company and, and run your company for you. So all that is by way of saying that the experience we create, the culture we create, and the way we communicate and connect with our people is really important. And that is on some level, give or take, well understood and embedded in the culture there. So I came back to this country and went and got a job in corporate America where it was not at all the case. And there was, I think, this like idea that I was just going to write some newsletters and maybe post some stuff on the internet. I hadn't done that in a long time, you know, and it was not at all the things that was interesting to me. I knew and know that, and as we've seen play out, that the way we communicate with people, the experience we create, the way we bring employee experience to life is really important in how we run a business. And so that's when I started my own firm. Great. Well, tell us about what you do at DuPont Communications. So I like to say we live at the intersection of employee experience, internal communications, and the future of work. In that employee experience, the mesh, the world that we create for the people who work in our company is brought to life, right? In communications is how we make it real for people, how we make it real in the hearts and minds of the people that we are counting on to run our company. Employee experience is sometimes, and it's always a little murky about where it sits, but very often it sits in HR. And it can be a sort of, it can be, has to do with, you know, policies, programs, initiatives, cultural initiatives. But if you think about it, the way that we breathe life into that, the stories we tell, the way we connect the dots, the way we connect purpose and meaning for people. A lot of our job as communications professionals is creating context, if you think about it. And so how we do that, and you know we've got a lot of different tools in our toolkit for how we can do that, that is how we we kind of create. And we do create the employee experience and through communications, that starts to create the future of work. So that is the work that we do in our firm, working with all different companies, different sizes, stages, industries. But what they all have in common is a very strong desire and commitment to create this experience where people can thrive and do their best work. I'm going to move us into our next segment, Getting Tactical. I'm trying to figure out tactics. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't have to worry about tactics too much. Here I am in charge and trying to say, why did you sleep through tactics? Tactics. I want to come back to something you said just a second ago about the employee experience often sits with HR. 
I have a long experience in internal communications, and I feel like the past few years, I feel like a shift has been put on internal communication. And I'm just wondering, when you think about it, when you think about the employee experience, what I often think about is waiting for leaders to make decisions to help improve, whether it be approve better technology, different benefits. But I'm wondering, what does the ideal employee experience look like to you? We have a, a graphic that we use to explain this, and I'll, I'll share it. We can share it in the show notes if you want. Basically, we line Maslow's hierarchy of needs with Gallup's definitions of employee experience and Gallup's arenas of employee experience. So if you think about it, hierarchy of needs, right? Help keep me safe, help me to belong, help me to do my job well, help me to connect with others, help me to contribute to the big picture. The aspects of employee experience are help me to work safely, right? And that means physical and psychological safety. Help me to connect with my team. Help me to understand role clarity, understand what I'm meant to do. Help me to grow and develop, which relates to the role of the manager. And then help me to have overall well-being, right? And that's financial, physical, psychic well-being. So, when we talk about what does the ideal employee experience look like, it's a way that accounts for all the the factors that help a human being to thrive in the workplace. And we can think of some of those are, you know, feeling valued, feeling safe, feeling seen, respected, right? And having the opportunity to grow, having the opportunity to contribute, having belief actually in the purpose of what we're doing in our leaders, and our organizations. There's all these aspects. So when we create both the programs, policies, infrastructure, and much of that will sit with NHR and ops and DEI and IT, communications can come and help us weave all of this together and connect the dots. Because connecting the dots is one of the things that communications professionals can and should be doing often better than other parts of the business. It's kind of one of our superpowers. Yeah, I love that, that multidimensional view of it. You talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the, how that relates to employees. I've never really thought about that way. I'd love to take a diagram of that, not the Maslow, but the points you just said, and to take it to leaders and say, what are we doing in each of these to actually improve the experience? I think sometimes people think, I get every other Friday off. That's what they've done. And that really doesn't scratch that itch. It's kind of the fun part. And I'll share this diagram because we use a lot. And actually, people tell us they print it out and keep it on their desks, Yeah, which is nice. I think it's this thing of what I like about it is it breaks it down into these very like simple components that everyone can understand. And I think kind of the cool part is the experience is what we, and this is going to be unique to every organization, how we take all those pieces, the creative pieces. You know, if we go back to scripts, in some sense, this pyramid, this diagram is the structure, the infrastructure of what employee experience is. Now, how we layer story, plot, programs, policies, you know, events, how we layer all that together is the kind of magical creative part to a very clear strategic framework. And I think that's where we get excited. I always slightly bristle when people talk about storytelling because even though I'm I'm passionate about it, I think it's really important, I get nervous that people will stop there and just think that it's telling a story and not understand all that's underneath the surface of that iceberg. There's so much strategy that goes into how you do that. What would you say some of the under the iceberg stuff that people need to be mindful of? What goes back to that pyramid, it's understanding what are the core drivers. You know, we can talk about coming and return to the office and how do we create part of office is office sort of a metaphor, isn't it? It's a physical place that we've identified, but where people can come and have an experience. You know, I like to think of the office like a touchstone, 
right? How can we have an experience that inspires us, energizes us, helps us to collaborate, innovate, do our jobs better, connect with others, feel all of those things in that pyramid. So we can talk about storytelling and how you do that, but storytelling is also sort of like a metaphor for how we just create these worlds that are very real for people. You know, we hear about the metaverse as this idea of creating something, a culture or whatever, but it's really a tool that will bring some of these ways that people want and need to feel at work to life so that they can do better and our businesses can do better. I feel like to hearing you say that the return to office is a metaphor, it just really sort of exploded in my brain trying to unpack this whole push to return to office and, and why that's important for businesses and leaders. It's almost like return back to your normal life because this has been a rough two years. And the big front part of that is returning to work. So I, I just have never thought about it that way. So what do you do at, at Dewpoint Communications that help businesses improve their employee experience? A few different things we work with businesses. You know, obviously we do implementation, execution, project management, some staff augmentation. But more and more, honestly, what people come to us for is helping first cross-functional teams to be more strategic in the way they think about the big picture. You know, one of the things we hear a lot, and this sort of surprises me or sometimes, is people come to us and they say, help us to lift our gaze widen our aperture and think bigger. Help us to get our people out of this day-to-day. And we all know what this feels like, right? We've got our little heads down and we've got all our tactics and we're doing all our things and we and we lose sight of the big picture and we forget how to connect the dots. We forget how to work cross-functionally because it takes a lot of time and energy, right? But help us to get out of the weeds a little bit to have time to thinking time to do this. Sometimes they talk about us as being professional forest seers. And I tell leaders that we work with, I'm like, your business will see all the trees. Don't worry. No one's going to lose sight of the trees. One of the best ways that you can support the business is by staying focused on the forest because it's hard. It's actually the hard thing to watch the forest and connect the dots between like, see those trees over there? They're part of this forest and this works over here. So ways that we do that, honestly, sometimes it's just trainings, workshops, ongoing programs that help teams take them through a, a curriculum or developing a strategy. Very often we do help teams develop strategies and we do it alongside them and we just walk them through. We've got a process and a framework, but they do it themselves. So it's cool because it has, you know, everything that they create, it's not some consultant going off and doing something and bringing it back for a reporter or something that goes in a drawer. They're, they've got their fingerprints all over it. It looks, it feels like them, but they've got us alongside them to help them see the forest and to kind of bring that depth and breadth of expertise there. And especially global, our team's global. So that's very helpful for companies that are in North America and trying to figure out how to account for other markets. Um, so that's one of the biggest things we we do. When I think about employee experience, a lot of companies are focused on it right now. It's become the big topic. What are some big mistakes you've seen companies make? We did a, a big piece of research recently looking at um, published an insights report called the new rules of employee experience and in communications. So we talked to leaders like in a range of industry sectors, different sizes, different stages, different geographies. And all in all, it touched um, the leaders we spoke with, touched the lives of about half a million U.S. workers and nearly a million around the world. So we got a lot of, had an opportunity to really see both what companies are doing right what are some of the emerging best practices, innovative approaches, and also where is there some opportunities, right? And we talked about like what keeps people up at night. One of the things is obviously bandwidth is a problem and this thinking space to connect the dots. People often ask me, they say, who does this really well? Employee experience, who's got this figured out? And I hate telling them this. I'm like, everyone's got some part of it 
figured out. No one that I've seen has all of it figured out, which should both be sort of reassuring to people and, you know, somewhat concerning that it, but it speaks to the fact that this is very hard. So to answer the question, the biggest mistake is not taking a holistic view, not taking a systems thinking approach. System thinking is hard right? Connecting the dots between different parts of the business, different ways of working, different styles, and seeing how all of them fit together. Systems thinking is something more and more that internal communications has got to get better at. We've got to be the ones to do that. We've got to be the ones to hold the complexity for the rest of the business. One of my favorite futurists, Bob Johansson, talks about it as liquid structures, and that in a world that is increasingly complex, ambiguous, volatile, uncertain, that VUCA world, that we have to be the ones who can live in that fluidity. And that means understanding how all these pieces fit together, holding in our kind of consciousness how all the pieces of that pyramid, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the arenas of employee experience, how they all fit together, and then being able to break them back apart for different parts of the business and pick up different tools and apply them in service of this. If you think about that, that takes a very, very different kind of thinking and a different kind of brain that's not common and hasn't traditionally been required of us. So if you think back to my experience I shared where someone wanted me to do a newsletter and post things on the internet, and you can imagine now if you see my brain, when my brain works, how like very unclear I was on what the purpose of that was. But we can see those that those tactics are very important, but only if someone is holding the whole picture and is can be the nexus that connects all these functions. You know, I talk about we the people people. So all the people in an organization that have responsibility for creating employee experience. So it's not just comms, although we can always be the trafficker or the person in the middle who can keep everyone together, but it's HR, it's IT, looking after digital workplace. It's change because there's no end of change or transformation. It's DEI, it's operations, it's property and real estate. Everyone that has a stake, you know, in making employee experience real. So we've got to be the ones to bring all of that together. Yeah, I mean, being an internal comms, I know, and just hearing you say that, you know, you were asked to do an intranet post and newsletter, sometimes that's what internal comms, that's all they're kind of allowed to do and they aren't brought into the table to hold that fluid structure. I guess, what, what advice would you give to people who are experiencing that level of difference? Like, well, I'm not brought into ET meetings or I don't have that information. I'm just asked to build the newsletter based on what, what my boss gives me. Yeah, it's, it's great. And it's a great question and it's complex. And I will say one of the ways that we see teams do best is when they have a really strong leader. And honestly, it's usually that leader that brings us, you know, in, and this is something I hear to say, our teams keeps waiting for permission to do things and they don't have that. And they keep wanting them to kind of think outside the box and think differently. And they don't, I think we all have empathy for that because we know that in some sense, it's sort of been beaten out of people, right? Also, don't forget, it got harder during COVID because just the nature of not having the ability to have spontaneous creative collision has sort of shifted the way people think and work a little bit differently. So we were all sort of a little bit in our own little silos and vacuums, of course. But what say is like, people keep waiting for permission to do things and I want them not to. There's a few things there. First, you need a good leader who will run interference for you so that while a team, and we do some of this work with, with teams who are partly building 
I'll say confidence, but parting the building those muscles to connect the dots, to think more strategically, to connect across teams, their own internal teams, and create a cohort where they understand how they can build social capital in the business, how they can build influence. Part of that is, right, we make our stakeholders look good. Well, we own the channels, so we have the storytelling. So in terms of how we build social capital, one of the things is giving the people in our businesses visibility and profile, which helps to increase our value. Someone externally coming into the business, sometimes I think that it's one of the ways we are the biggest ally for internal comms teams is, you know, when someone in the comms team pushes back, there's risk there but they pay us to come in and ask those same questions. So I wish it was different, but sometimes it's that is one of the ways that we can be most helpful is just asking the questions that are hard to ask internally. And I think part of it is looking for what will look like help in the business. Where can we showcase? Where can we build small pockets of influence? And then how do we create more? And then how do we, we grow those, nurture those so that there's an aspect of FOMO that other parts of the business see what's happening. And it starts to, you know, we get that kind of rising boat There's a few ways that change, significant change happens in business. One, there's a mandate from the top. Leadership says this has to be different. Two, there's an event that happens. I mean, something something that rocks everyone's world, that just disrupts the way we work, and that creates this burning platform. We don't really want to have to wait for that, do we? And then three is we start grassroots, team by team, cohort by cohort, pocket by pocket, starting to cultivate our gardens and create systemic change in that way. So I think part of it is understanding if you have a manager or a leader that's just like telling you to keep the trains running on time and you want to work in a different way, there's some decisions to make about how can you help work with that manager? How can you help them see the value in it? It may just not be the right fit for you. I found certainly in the organization I was in that that just was never actually going to work for me. And I wasn't until I got out and learned and started working other ways that I was like, oh, geez, Louise, I was, that was never going to, I was never going to be able to thrive there. So I think it is it's starting to look at what are the small levers that you have and how can you start to do that? If you commit to staying where you are and driving change from within, being really smart and strategic about how you do that and just building that like slowly, slowly, right? How do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> I love that metaphor. On to the next segment, rip from the headlines. You hear the news? X Street, X Street, read all about it. Our stories rip from the headlines. Rip from the headlines. We're sitting here talking about employee experience. I love you, again, reference Maslow hierarchy of needs. You're talking about people feeling respected at work, feeling safe at work psychologically and physically. Just all of those components, you know, have opportunity to grow. One thing my brain keeps pointing back to is DE&I initiatives at a company. I think that's just so important. And I wonder if companies are, are invested as they say they are. They say they're invested, but they're not acting in a way. So I want to I want to talk about the DE&I efforts of companies, with, especially with people working hybrid and remote, right? That's completely changed the the game and the way people interact with their jobs, their managers. So let's start there. How has DNI been impacted due to this hybrid work, remote work environment? Gosh, there's so many aspects of it, aren't there? Right? There's so many different facets. So one thing I would say is, you know, there's some research Future Forum did, and Future Forum is, I think, Tank kind of founded by Slack, and they did some really interesting research about the experience of remote work for Black knowledge workers in the U.S. Their employee experience improved during the pandemic and being remote because of, for a number of reasons, but one of the things I thought was very interesting is decreased microaggressions. 
and decreased need to code switch. And for me as a white woman, right, that is like, that's not something that I'm super familiar with. Some of our employees going to the, the physical workplace are experiencing unconscious bias or different behaviors that diminish their employee experience. If you think about it, it really speaks to some of the nuances and the complexity of DEI. If you think about what's at the heart of DEI, it is that piece of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is help keep me physically and psychologically safe and help me to feel like I belong. And that in all those pieces fit together because they're how we are able to thrive and do our best work. And we know the research about how diversity improves business outcomes. So I think there's another piece too about how DEI fits into a broader ESG or CSR perspective and how all the pieces fit together about how we create sustainable companies where people can thrive. There's another really interesting piece piece of research, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review or Sloan Management Review, about this, they call the double whammy effect of women in hybrid work, which is that women were already some sense disadvantaged or had had more of an uphill battle in terms of gaining visibility, being promoted, growing their careers at work, and then are also statistically more likely to opt for flexible work. And that that further in a hybrid environment sets them back in terms of visibility, profile, access to senior leadership, access to opportunities. And so how, again, do we account for all of this? Again, we talk about return to the office, or the office is a metaphor. How do we create employee experience where people can come to this place and thrive, no matter what that means for them? I want to just focus a bit more on that DEI stuff. What is a good DEI program to help combat some of this return to work stuff? What does that look like? I think it's tied very closely to employee journey and employee journey mapping. So I think it is really breaking down all the things that we do innately in internal communications, breaking down audience segments, understanding drivers, understanding people's journey, journey, design thinking around empathy for who are these audiences and what affects them, what impacts them, and how can we create both policies and programs and initiatives to help create that employee experience we want? And what are some of the things that are the roadblocks that are getting in our way? You know, I don't have all the answers for DEI, but this is a place where we can absolutely work cross-functionally to support all of our partners and to ask some of these questions about exactly the question you asked, which is what does a really good DEI program for us look like? Right? Who are our audiences? Who are our people? What do we want them to you know, know, feel, do? What do we want this experience to be like? And what do they need in order to thrive here? Who should own the DE&I efforts in a company? I've worked at companies where there's like a separate group of, of people, like three or four people who bring in guest speakers and, and you know, maybe sit on different councils. I've worked organizations where there isn't that, but there's, you know, HR sort of owns it and they help try to set policies. Who do you really think owns that effort? Oh, I think it, it's a little bit like the question of where does internal communications sit, right? It, again, it dif- it's different for different organizations. It sits where it can have the most strategic value to the business. For a long time, we've talked about having a seat at the table. And sometimes I think, especially for communications, it's just like, be the table. Like, you be the table. <laughs> and then you have people come to your table. Stop waiting to get a seat at other people's table. You form the strategic imperative, right? And have people come work in that way with you. So, I mean, where does DEI sit? I think often it can sit in HR, it can sit in ops. I think it can sit, report to the CEO. But what you mentioned about people have campaigns or that it's very tactical, that is the risk. And I think that's what you highlighted, which is that people pay lip service to it. Mm-hmm. 
but somehow it's not embedded as a business imperative. I think this is where we're in a really strong position because companies that understand this is much bigger, right? This is about how we run our business. This is core to what we stand for, what we believe in and how we act- activate and empower our people. And DEI is, so, is just so broad, right? And I never want to diminish some of where it has been and where our focus has been in the last, especially in the last few years about dismantling systemic racism. But over time, we'll have an opportunity to realize that it is, there are parts of it for everyone, right? Everyone needs inclusion. Everyone needs to feel belonging. That is how we thrive. So I think it's exciting because we'll get increasingly sophisticated. So I'm very positive about it. I think we're just in a process. We're in a continuum and we're learning. You know, one of the things I think should also be reassuring to people is everyone's building the plane while they fly it. No one has this all figured out. But it's the fun part and why these conversations are fun is it's how we learn is, you know, from what other people are doing. We think, oh, actually, we could try that. Yeah, that would be cool. This could work for us. Yeah, I love what you said about don't wait for a seat at the table. Be the table. Be the table. I even ask questions on this this podcast. How does IC get a seat at the table? I think that's such a great different way of thinking about it. It kind of just blows up waiting for a seat at the table and just being the table. Yeah, I think that that's a great metaphor. What does that look like? If someone's sitting out there and saying like, how do I be the table? What does that look like for you? I think one is, if you think about it, we own a lot of the infrastructure. We own the channels. So as part of it is we own, we understand audience. We understand audience segmentation. We understand empathy. We understand, actually, there's a really great quote. I feel like I talk about it a lot recently. Satya Nadella asked, he was asked, what's the biggest source of innovation? And he said, empathy. And empathy is the thing that is most innate to all of us. And it is where the source of of innovation comes from is being able to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Okay, so it's free, you know. (laughs) Everyone can do it. it, is our most innate ability. And yet, in fact, we often don't do it. But internal communications, we have the ability to actually harness some of that. Part of how we do it is we understand what other people's drivers are. We understand what motivates them, what they need, what they're looking for, what success looks like. We can be that systems thinker. We can connect the dots. We can look for how to build social capital and influence, how to weave things together, how to tell a story, right? Now, you know, if you reduce all it, it sounds like spin and it puts us back in that old kind of spin piece, but we can create a strategic, really structured world that gets results. We know it gets results, but it means we've got to work smarter and we've got to bring other people into the fold. And that means like when we have this table, it's like, instead of waiting to be invited to someone else's dinner party, we're like, Hey, actually we're doing this cool thing over here. Do you want to be part of it? Actually, it's doing some really cool stuff. We're getting really good results. And this actually, you see this part of the business, they're doing really well. We've been working a lot with them and look at like look at their numbers, right? So I think it is, it's slightly like all carrot, no stick. And we bring people in slowly by building influence across the business. I love that. I, I hope that that's helpful to our listeners too. That's, that's such a good carrot to take out of this conversation. There's a bunch, don't get me wrong. I've loved our entire conversation, but that's such a such a great one. Thank you for sharing that. And maybe it's, I think, you know, the entrepreneurial side of me, right? It's like, you can't wait for people, you don't wait for things to happen. You could figure out, here's a problem. What do I want to do? And you've got to figure out how to go and solve it. I think people, especially internal communications professionals are hunger. Like they're hungry to do that. They want to do more. They feel stifled and are in that stage where they're waiting for permission. And I think, you know, I don't know if you've looked outside, but the world's like, world's a little bit on fire, right? And I just think the time when we can play it safe and be good little, you know, calms people and behave ourselves. I just think that time is gone. 
there's a lot of problems that need solving. And I think we're the ones to do it. And I think we just need to figure out like how to grab the bull by the horns and then bring other people with us. And I, I think that's just a, such an important topic or idea to put in minds because, you know, in my past experiences, you know, in these internal comms roles, you're working with the CEO, you're working with the CIO, you're working with the CTO, all that C-suite level. And so it can be intimidating and you don't want to take that step of building your own table. <laughs> but because there's a lot of trust usually built between IC and those roles, I think it's worth a shot. I think people out there, hopefully they take your advice and, and give that a shot. I'll say something else too. You know, I talk to a lot of leaders, right? And of course there's leaders and managers who don't know what to do with this, don't, aren't interested in this and want you to do what you're told. Of course they're there. We know them. We've all worked for them. But I do hear a lot of leaders who come to me and they ask me who I know because they want people that will think outside the box. They want bigger strategic thinkers. They're frustrated by not being able to find people who can think and work in this way, who don't have the confidence, right? Who don't know how to like do these things. And they are looking for those people to help them change, you know, to change and transform their organizations. So I think it's looking for those pockets, you know, when you're looking for a new role. And of course, we always see on LinkedIn every single day, that little cherry falling you know, mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a bunch of them. <laughs> like really vetting that manager, that leader, like, are we going to be a team? Are you going to help me? Like, I want to do this stuff. Like the, I'm up to some big stuff. Are you going to have my back? And are we going to be able to get things done? Are we going to build this function? so that we can really do this. When I first came back and I went and I got this job in corporate America, they said, we want you to come and help us build a world-class communications function. And I thought, great, I want to do that too. In fact, they didn't want to. They did what I call, they want to want. Like, do you want to or do you want to want to, right? Do they say, do you, it'd be cool, but you don't really have the will to do it. You think it would be a good idea, but you don't actually, aren't really going to do it. Or are you really like ready to do this. Those are the places you want to work. That's where you're going to do the best work of your career. Yeah. And that, that's when you said ask those questions in job interviews, that was the first thing that came to mind. I feel like there's always people who say that's what they want to do, but do they really want to do that? And it's hard to weed those out. Do you have any questions you would ask just for our listeners if they're interviewing for jobs to help weed those folks out? Or is this a matter of just ask the questions, see what they say? It's different for everyone, but I see one is trust your instinct and don't let the fear of not getting the job stop you because have you ever not gotten a job that you later wished you had? I've never not been hired for something and like years later been like, Oh, if only, right. I've always never gotten <laughs> jobs and later have looked like, geez, I dodged a bullet there. Like that was horrible. So I think one thing is trust your instincts and don't let be afraid. I'll tell you, we can talk about with the great resignation is over, but I'm not worried about that because what I know is great people are always going to be in demand. The better we are, the more and more in demand we will be. So I don't really worry too much about that in the long term. And there's fewer and fewer humans. We're at sort of peak youth. Like there's actually fewer humans participating in the workforce. So long term, the kind of numbers are in our favor. So not being afraid, asking good questions, not being afraid when you don't get the job because that's the wrong place for you. And I'd also say activate your networks. I mean, I think one of the most important things I've ever done is just build really good networks of people and have conversations. And if you see someone that you know on LinkedIn is ask questions about the organization and about the manager and get intelligence through your network. Sometimes I think I get very nervous when I looked at people on LinkedIn and they have like 280 connections because like, who are you going to ask without that kind of 
access to the conversations, it's very hard to get this right and to be able to have different inputs and to be able to think and innovate and create new ideas and collaborate. We have a huge opportunity here with this, you know, internet and different conversations to, to really learn from each other. And I think it's so important. Yeah. And there's a lot of different, even groups on LinkedIn you can join. I know I'm in like six internal communications and employee experience ones. So those are great resources too. I see people use those all the time for questions. And does anyone have a template for this? Or does anyone know anything about this company? I see that coming up quite a bit. Good advice. Let's move into our last segment, asking for a friend. Who's asking for a friend? Hey, asking for a friend. You're out there working with all different companies you mentioned globally. What is one challenge that you foresee that is coming up in the future that we're going to have to deal with in internal comms? This is something, again, that came up again in our research. I call it gravity. Like, I'm, I keep looking for, like, a way to describe this that isn't, like, ripping off wicked. But I think so much of our work is defying gravity, right? We have tunnel vision. We're in the day-to-day. We're trying to get things done. The pace of change is just, like, unending and is accelerating. So one thing I'll say is... If you're waiting for things to slow down or go back to normal, you should stop waiting for that because the pace of change is only going to continue to accelerate. So our job is to ourselves and also to help others to be able to manage right this rapidly accelerating change. And the contexts are going to be changing again and again and again. And that's why, I mean, we have to be able to hold this complexity. So I think the that muscle of holding the complexity thriving, which is a strange word, in the space of like chaos and change, this VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And that we will always be toggling between getting the stuff on our to-do list done and holding the big picture, right? Seeing that forest. Honestly, it's partly why I have a job because part of what we do is we help people see the forest and stay in the forest. And it's like, we don't just do it once. It's like, you have to do it all the time. It's like brushing your teeth because the gravity is always going to pull you back to that to-do list. But really, if we stay in the weeds all the time, and the business will always drag you down rabbit holes, but we can't really serve them if we go down that rabbit hole with them and stay down there. We can go down, but we've got to come back up. So I think that's the challenge is understand how to lift our gaze, widen our aperture, think bigger, and support the business in the rabbit holes, getting things done. But that muscle of toggling and of going up and down that's how we'll move the needle in the business. That's how we'll demonstrate our strategic value. That's how we be the table. And I love it. They brought it back to that. I cannot tell you how much I love this current time of internal communications. We have such an opportunity to really just turn everything on its head. You know, you'd mentioned a job where you're just posting internet and newsletters. This is such a time to, to try so many new and innovative things and bring out new ideas to the industry. Because everyone, as you mentioned earlier, Nobody has everything figured out. We're just trying to put together pieces and see what sticks. So I, I, I love that and bringing it back to the table, taking those pieces and building that table. This is such a huge opportunity for us, as you say, and I just really want to encourage people not to miss it, not to let this moment go by when we can actually build the plane, like build the table, as you say, but don't let, like, don't miss this time, this opportunity to really do some of the best work of our careers. Absolutely. Victoria, this has been a lot of fun. Before I let you go, will you let our listeners know where they can find you? 
LinkedIn is my platform of choice. I love connecting with people. I love, as I've said, having these conversations. So people should feel very free to reach out to me on LinkedIn and just say like, I heard you on the podcast and wanted to connect. And that's always really fun for me too. We have this insights report that we published, the new rules of employee experience and communication. Feel free to download it. And if it's a a helpful resource, that pyramid I talked about, that's in the uh, report as well. Or if you want, just reach out to me on LinkedIn and um, I'm happy to share it. And if people have like, questions or we're always happy to be a resource or a sounding board for people. And you know, that's how we learn. Leaders say to us all the time, like, what are you hearing out there? And part of how we're hearing things is could people come to us and say, hey, <laughs> you know, what about this? So always happy to, to be a resource or a sounding board for folks in the communications community and for other people, people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Victoria. This has been great. Oh, thank you so much, Amanda. I've loved our conversation. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler, the modern intranet software that simplifies the employee experience. Learn more about how Simpler can help you build the future of your employee experience at simpler.com. That's S-I-N-P-P-L-R.com. To all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, make sure to hit subscribe, leave a review, and head over to www.simpler.com slash podcast for more information. Until next time, you're listening to The Cohesion Podcast, brought to you by Simpler. See you in the next episode.